If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Stocks for beginners. I once did a, a lookup on Yahoo Finance, and I found there was over 25,000 professionally managed funds. That's the smart money, okay? Well, when you look at, well, how, what percentage of them actually can even generate 10% a year just to kind of be ahead of inflation? Less than 5% can even make 10% a year. Hi, and welcome back to Stocks for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. The most difficult thing for people approaching markets is to achieve consistency. It can feel like the market is targeting you personally as you get caught up in its gravitational forces. Joining me today is Roger Curry. Hello, Roger. Hey, Phil. How are you? Good to be here with you. Roger Curry is the founder and CEO of Market Forecasting Academy, a training and mentorship program for market participants looking for low-risk, consistent, market-beating performances. So let's go back in time. How did you and when did you start originally investing? Well, it was back in the 1990s, the mid-90s, when the uh, whole trade uh, for a living revolution kind of took off and started uh, getting into the trading really from a short to medium-term perspective. And I began to realize that what I was applying in the short to medium term could actually apply intraday. And I started really kind of building my skill set then. I probably spent about 18 months of education and training and about nine months of practice before I really felt comfortable with where I could go in and start trading real capital. Did you have a finance background or you were a civilian before that? Oh, no, total civilian. I was actually in, in uh, business uh, consulting at that time. In fact, that was what was funding my <laughs> all my trading education and the training and the, and the losses. That was your float. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You know, it's uh, an interesting thing. There's a lot of good people, very well-meaning people in the industry that love to teach. I know teaching is, is something that some people are just really enjoy. I, I've found that I enjoy it, although I never intended to teach as people would come to me and ask me, how is it that I have all this free time? And I tell them what I do. And I was like, wow, would you be willing to teach me? I was like, yeah, I think it'd be fun. And it kind of turned into what it is today. But, but there's a lot of people who really kind of, who figure something out and they want to teach. Well, what's interesting is a lot of people don't realize that there's something that I call an inherent flaw in the market. And that is, it took me 14 years to figure out that no matter what strategy or system or technology or indicator I ever bought, it's doomed to eventually begin to perform inconsistently, poorly, or not at all. Why? Because all of these approaches have one common theme, and that is they're developed within a set of market conditions that at the time are what is working for somebody. Then they backtest them for previous market conditions, and that's how they figure out, okay, I've got something that works and it's got some edge. Okay, wonderful. Let's say, now most Statistical edges are going to perform around about 60% on the top side of, as an average, right? But when that edge starts to fail, because market conditions change just enough as they always do, they're always evolving, then suddenly as the conditions change, this is the reason why people, when they think they've found something, they have some success and all of a sudden that success starts to 
become haphazard. It's no longer consistent. And they're, they're wondering what's going on. Why did this thing fail? Am I doing something wrong? Now, yes, sometimes it's not applying it correctly. But most of the time, if someone's following the rules, the system is really starting to kind of fail them in terms of giving them something consistent and reliable. Well, what do they do? Now they're off looking for the next new thing. What's working now, right? Version 2.0. And this is the nature of the beast for the entire industry, including the professionals. Well, after 14 years, when I realized even the professionals have to keep looking at the next new thing and starting and stopping, but now they don't have the same horror stories, although you'll hear some of them here and there with big banks and big funds, but by and large, most of them don't have those because they're willing to hold on to a large downturn. They'll hold a 10, 20, 25% downturn, right? But for an, the average individual, that's not something that they really want to be able to have to stomach and, and, and go through. Especially if they don't understand why that's happening. Exactly. And oftentimes the timing, you'll get people who will be looking to retire and all of a sudden the market gives back 30 to 50%. Well, they can't make that up in a very short, you know, that's years of gains, right? So I had to figure out there's got to be some way to overcome this inherent flaw. And it was a bunch of serendipitous events, but I had a pivot point in my life where, <laughs> believe it or not, I was about to punch my computer monitor. I was so upset. <laughs> and I thought, okay, I refrained and I went to the beach to calm myself down because that's one of my things that I do. I go and I like to just watch the ocean, listen to the waves, calm myself down. There's a little spot that's not very busy, but it's a popular surfing point. It's called Silver Strand Beach in Ventura County, California. Well, I went there and I think because I was boiling over, I was looking at the surfers and I started counting that there were 17 surfers. And then all of a sudden, it occurred to me about, a, a, I don't know, maybe half an hour into it, I noticed there's was, there was two surfers out of the 17 that were kind of off to the left side and the other 15 kept taking like wave after wave, you know, trying to surf the wave, but they're crashing and burning a lot. Sometimes they get good waves, oftentimes they're crashing and burning, but the two guys off to the left didn't seem to take many waves at all. And I thought, well, those are probably the amateurs learning from the 15 that are seem to be regulars. Well, about an hour, an hour and a half into it, a pattern clicked in my mind. I realized, you know what? Every time those guys take a wave, they always have a really nice, smooth, long ride. They're not crashing and burning. <gasps> They're the professionals, right? And I was like trying to figure out then, once I realized that what was going on, I realized the way they were situated and what they were doing in their mannerisms in the water was very different than the mannerisms of those that were kind of coupled together, right, in the, the 15. Well, it turns out you could see that they had some way where they were filtering out the waves that were not likely to give them a bad ride versus looking for waves that would give them a, a good ride, right? So I thought, well, wait a second. That's got to be a principle in life. What if I went back to the market instead of looking for opportunities to make money? What would happen if I looked for opportunities that were not likely to lose money? Everything changed with that perspective. And that began a series of interesting, fortuitous, serendipitous moments that would just kind of come together. And I began literally reinventing the approach to the markets. I threw out literally everything I had done for 14 years. I had spent over a 14-year period maybe over $300,000 on education and training alone. Okay, I'm not even talking about losses that I learned from. So I literally threw everything out and took a very counterintuitive approach to the market. And I realized something. Most people, including professionals, will look at one, two, or maybe three factors to help them analyze a market. So primarily fundamental analysis and or 
technical analysis, any of their various forms. It includes Fibonacci, GAN, things like that, okay, Elliott wave. The problem is all these are, they're affected by many other factors, and it turns out there's actually eight major factors of supply and demand that are affecting price action, what causes prices to rise and fall. These are the demand factors. So the combined impact of all those major eight forces and their subsets is what's really driving price. And when you realize that, guess what happens? You all of a sudden realize price itself is a lagging indicator. And if you're using a technical analysis, well, that's, that's derived from price. That's another lagging indicator. Now you're twice behind, right? Because <laughs> price is the most current and you're deriving something from that. That's lagging. Well, then what is price lagging behind? It's lagging behind demand. Demand is what causes prices to go up and down. So if we can actually not forecast, but if we can identify where demand is in real time, the aggregate combined demand factors, guess what? We can now forecast where price is going with a great deal of accuracy. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Can we just um, step back just for a moment? Because I'm presuming we're talking about technical analysis. Much of your process is to do with technical analysis, and that's seeing those lines and bars and candlesticks on a screen. Is that correct? So not exactly. Just before we get into that, because I just wanted to clarify this, and also the concept of lagging indicator, because you hear this term, but we're talking to beginners here, and they mightn't even know what we're talking about here. Just give me a little bit of an overview of the lines and bars on a chart and why they're not giving you an accurate picture of what's actually happening right now. So just to kind of deep dive a little bit on when we think about what is a lagging indicator in the market. So when we look at a price chart, you know, if we put up, uh, if we want to look at the stock of Apple as an example, right, you'd see that, you know, as price goes up, generally people will use something called a candlestick price chart. So they look like little candlesticks. And so if it's green, that represents that the market's moving up. If it's red, it's moving down, right? So we have the price that we're watching as it goes up and down. Now, a lot of people that use technical analysis will use something like a moving average, right? Which is that you'll see a line that, that is measuring a number of price bars for the last, let's say 50 price bars, and taking the total and it's kind of showing you where the average is right now. So it's really, it's deriving that information from price historically and giving you a visual indication of where it's at on a price chart right now. And that's great, but it, it's giving you kind of a look back historically, right? So it's lagging. It's behind what's currently in real time in the market, right? Though it looks like it's real time, it's showing you a snapshot of what happened. All right. So there's other indicators that people use, and these indicators are little, you know, squiggly lines and things that will try to represent the rate of change, for instance, as it oscillates up and down. So you see these waves, and it shows you when, when the market seems to be a lot of buyers are kind of buying, and maybe it looks like it's exhausting and, and maybe overbought. So you, you expect the market to start to want to come back a little bit, pull back, retrace some of its steps, right? 
and vice versa. So these are all um, indications of uh, what people can look at on a price chart that helps them understand, is the market really exhausted in this direction? Has it moved so long that it needs to kind of take a rest and go sideways a little bit where it's not going to continue going higher? Or maybe it needs to kind of come back. It went too high. In fact, if you use a rubber band analogy, you look at a rubber band, as a rubber band gets stretched out, you know, it can only go so far for us to stretch, get a snap back in, right? Now, the market's not going to break and snap. And so just pretend this is a rubber band that does not break and snap. Well, that's what we're seeing in the market is at some point, what goes up must come down. What goes down eventually goes back up, right? But if we think about what causes prices to go up and down, it's always based on how much demand there is. If you want to sell your house, the more people that want that house, they'll start to bid up and go, well, I'll pay you 5000 more. I'll pay you 10000 more. I'll pay you. Okay. But if no one wants your house and you want to sell it, wow, I'm not getting any offers. Well, I better offer it for 10000 less. Okay. Still no takers. Okay. I'll offer for $25,000 less. So demand really governs where prices go. So by understanding that price itself is, when you're looking at it in real time, it's not representing necessarily the actual demand. It's just where it's at now. It is going to be moving up or down based on the continuing evolution as demand evolves, either as it expands or as more demand or contracts or as less demand. If demand is moving back and contracting, price will eventually start to go back down. If price is expanding and you've got more demand, it's price is going to start pushing up. But a critical indication here, or, or um, I guess a note to make, is that demand is always the first to move, then price follows after. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And it's also worthwhile mentioning here that when we're talking lagging indicators, that even if you're looking at fundamental analysis, for example, that's an incredibly long lagging indicator because all you can look at is a company's most recent report. That's exactly right. And this is where you see professional funds. You know, if people look at, well, how many professional funds are there? I once did a, a lookup on Yahoo Finance and I found there was over 25,000 professionally managed funds. That's the smart money. Okay. Well, when you look at, well, how, what percentage of them actually can even generate 10% a year just to kind of be ahead of inflation? less than 5% can even make 10% a year. Okay. Well, that's, wow. That's. And they've been to all the best schools and the business colleges and they've got the, the fancy degrees. <laughs> exactly. And you, it's mind boggling. Now they've got the yachts, they've got, well, where's all the customers yachts? You know, what's going on with that? Well, what's interesting is when we think Wall Street makes all the big money, people think that they know how to grow and make money. But if you step back and look at the industry, Honestly, you realize the big money is being made on fees they're collecting for managing money, whether they win or lose or break even. That's number one. And very few funds who are like a Goldman Sachs who has clients, well, guess what they do? They know their clients' positions and they've publicly admitted that they trade against their clients by knowing what their clients are doing. So that's another way they might make money is by knowing having an advantage, informational advantage, they know what their clients are doing, they trade against them. <laughs> okay, well, then that's not that's not an honest way of making money. So how does the individual get to make money? Yep, that's manipulating demand, presumably. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. The manipulations are, are rampant. And actually, brokers themselves, when you're a client, most people don't read their risk disclosure, Phil. If you read your risk disclosure, it actually says right there, 
will often take the opposite position from your position. <laughs> so, well, wait a second. If they're telling me they're going to trade against me right in the contract, what does that say about their faith in me? What does it say about their faith in the education that they're giving me and the education that I've gotten in the industry? Well, it turns out statistically, most brokers have this understanding that 90% of their clients will lose 90% of their account balance within 90 days. That's kind of a little phrase there. The 90 rule. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? And statistically, I think there was a study that was done and they, they showed that 90, I think it was 93 or 96 or 97%, some crazy percentage of accounts never make money. So you wonder, well, wait a second. Well, but how are these brokers staying in business? Well, because people can't stand losing. And a lot of people who have money in a brokerage account generally have some success in life. And it's like they can't accept that they've worked hard, succeeded in whatever they put their mind to, but this thing shouldn't be this difficult. And yet I can't seem to make that work. So what do they do? They replenish that account. So though they're losing money, they give back money. They're putting more money behind it to keep going because they have to crack this code, right? What do you think kept me in the market for 14 years trying to figure this thing out, right? What funded my path, my business, my primary income, right? So this is a fact and a truth that people have to really come to terms with. There's a lot of great hype out there about what you can make. And you hear all these great stories of, you know, I turned 10,000 a million dollars. Okay, well, great. But is there any consistency? Is there any repeatability? Or are they just one hit wonders? So I think one of the key things that people ought to look for is, okay, success is one thing, but is there repeatability? Do I see consistency? Is there something congruent? You know, because if there is, then that's the first sign of, okay, maybe there's something solid here. The next thing is I look at, well, are there people complaining about this thing that have actually been involved in it? That's a great way to know, well, what is people's experience who've actually invested in this thing? Are you talking about people who have organizations, businesses who, who are offering education and ways of making, making money in the market? Yeah, exactly. When people are looking to do something and they want to educate themselves. So these are some things they want to look at to be able to know with confidence, am I getting an education that's actually going to help me? Or is it going to just sound good and feel good, but somehow I'm going to have this haphazard experience where I kind of feel like I'm getting something, but then I, you know, you make a little bit, you give it back. You make a little bit, you give it back. You know, it's a keep shoot. It's like you have a carrot at the end of the stick. It's always kind of keeping you there virtually moving forward, but you're never really moving forward. You're kind of standing still, right? Because progress is a growing account, not an account that makes money and then you give it back. And so the consistency is critical. Without consistency, you've got nothing, right? Well, let's, um, let's move back then about um, the mind shift, your mindset change that brought you back to not losing money as opposed to trying to catch every wave, being the big kahuna of investing. Yeah. Well, you know, what happened was when I realized that it set me up and I, I ended up creating a process that took into account all of the eight factors of demand, basically. So if you think about it, you've got fundamentals, just the traditional Graham Dodd, uh, Warren Buffett style forces, okay? Yeah, they're what's in the company's reports about revenue, balance, and so forth. Exactly. You've got uh, geopolitical forces, that includes central bank, macroeconomic effects, political, you know, tweets, and, you know, you've got volatility and the different, you know, phase shifts. You have, of course, market sentiment. And then you have uh, liquidity pools, and, and that includes volume, order flow, trade flow. That includes smart money. And believe it or not, there's like dark pools that are involved in that. We've heard about this. It's incredible to believe that how much is going through dark pools of money. It's wild. It's wild. Now, then there's something called 
prime liquidity pools. Now, what's a prime? It's a prime area on a price chart where you see that there's a certain level of price. You see kind of what I call squishiness. There's a squishy area where a market can be manipulated with certain financial weight, a big enough order. And who understands and who knows what kind or what size of an order can that pool hold? Well, a broker does because they see the order flow and they understand order flow in the market, right? Or a market maker, you know, people who make markets, you know, who are in charge of being in the middle between buyers and sellers, you know? So what happens is they can see a level where price seems to be holding where the general public says, oh, it seems like every time the market goes from 100 to 102 and comes back to 100, people seem to start to buy back at 100. Well, I'm willing to buy at 100 and I'll just kind of give myself a little safety net. And I'll just say, you know what, if it fails and it goes to 99, I'll get out, I'll exit. I don't want to take any larger loss. So they put their kind of a, an order to say, well, I'll exit if I'm wrong. If it goes below 100, if it hits 99, I'll, I'll exit. Now, they only go in at 100 and put that little stop loss in because they think that the market's going to go back to 102 or 103 or 104 or whatever. Well, what happens is they, they get in and they get in for 100 and all of a sudden the market goes down, goes to 98.5, <laughs> hits their stop, and then it goes up to 103, 104, 105. I'm like, what? That's where they feel personally gone after, right? I have heard about this before, Roger, where somehow the market knows where the stop losses are. And I'll just go fishing for those stop losses. Yes. And actually, when you have brokers that see their orders, you know, from their clients coming in, it's easy for them to realize, oh, here's the majority of where the stops are, right? So they can they can stop hunt you. Literally, they can hunt your stops. And why would they do that? Let's pretend you and me are, are in the market. I'm the broker. You're the client. You were the one who put your stop loss at 99. And I see 150 other people that are doing the same thing. And I see that the prime liquidity pool, like the rubber band, it's elastic. I can see that I can push it down to 97.5, 98. But then once it hits that, there's going to be a string of orders there that are going to cause the market to balloon back up very quickly, right? That are going to overwhelm the market. It can't go any further. Well, then I'll go in and put my order at 98. Well, for me to get that filled, right? Remember, you're selling your position, right? Yep. And they're buying. So I'm buying, I'm taking the opposite position from you. So I'm taking that order. Guess what? I've stopped you out. I've gotten a better price average. So instead of me making money from 99 to 103, no, why don't I make it from 98 to 103, right? Dollar more. Now, incrementally, you do that repeatedly. That adds up pretty quickly for a broker or for a market maker, anyone who can do that. So understanding that there's a prime pool of liquidity and then being able to identify where it is is critical to eliminate two things. Being manipulated in the market, stop hunted, spiked, whipsawed out, okay? And guess what? It eliminates the uncertainty that comes from that. Now, when you've eliminated uncertainty and being manipulated, guess what you've automatically done? You've just eliminated inconsistency. You now have guaranteed yourself a very consistent, and stable experience that's sustainable for the, as long as you want to be involved in the market. There's no version 2.0. That's a principle. It's as constant as gravity, right? So those are important factors to take into account along with the imbalances that we see in supply and demand. And then last but not least, technical analysis, right? Any of those little squiggly lines on the on a price chart 
or the ideas of like Fibonacci, GAN, Elliott Wave, things that people can look up and see, oh, this is exciting. All, which by the way, are subjective. You can line up 10 Elliott Wave theorists and they're going to give you 10 different interpretations of what they see. But we have to have something objective where you and I and 10 other people can look at the same thing. We all agree. Yep. That's this. Like if you and I decided to take a, an, an RV bus and we got 10 of our friends together and we decided we're going to take a 250 mile road trip. Well, if we all sat in front and looked at the gas tank and says, oh, your fuel gauge shows a quarter of a tank of gas. All 10 of us are going to agree that a quarter of a tank of gas will not get us down into our 250 mile road trip. We're going to have to stop and refuel. Well, that's telling us, that's giving us guidance as to what actions we have to take. That is totally objective and not subject to anyone's interpretation. And unless you have that kind of clarity, you're going to make mistakes. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. Well, to have consistency of performance, to have a methodology, to to be able to continue doing the same thing so that you're not you're not being forced by psychological circumstances to panic and do something that you shouldn't be doing. That's exactly right. Now, you brought something up very important. Trade psychology is often talked about. It's necessary when you are approaching the market the way everyone approaches it and the way that I did for the first 14 years doing what everyone was teaching me to do. Well, why do we need trade psychology? Because we're constantly living with uncertainty. There's an unknown. Well, what drives fear and greed? Fear and greed are destructive forces because they make us rationalize and justify behaviors that don't serve us. Well, what drives fear and greed is the unknown. It's uncertainty. Well, when we eliminate the uncertainty, we eliminate the unknown. Guess what? We've just eliminated fear and greed. What happens when you can come to the market no longer in fear, no longer needing to be greedy because you have objective information that tells you here's what you're dealing with. So you don't have to guess and hope. You know what to expect with no less than an 80 to 90% level of analysis accuracy. Well, now you've got a level of control over both your outcomes in terms of your performance, but you now also have a level of control over your experience. You're not stressed and wrestling and you don't have to rely on trade psychology because you're not dealing with the unknowns that trade psychology helps you with that mental fortitude. All that stuff becomes unnecessary, right? It's helpful, but really not necessary. Like for instance, it's hard to be patient when I don't know what to expect, but when I know what to expect, I can clearly see, oh, no, I need to be patient. If I see a storm coming, if you and I forecast a storm, that doesn't mean you and I should be going out and running our errands in the middle of a storm. We have to kind of hold on and say, you know what? No, no, no. That's kind of, that's dangerous weather. I don't want to go in there a hydroplane and have an accident. I'll wait till the storm passes. Then I'll go run my errands. That's easy. It's not hard to be patient for that. I know I've got objective data. See, it changes everything when you have objective clarity. I call it the four C's. Clarity, consistency, control, produces confidence. It's like a stool, four-legged stool. You need that. That's your foundation. And so it's really important for people to seek that kind of a very sober approach to the market, right? Otherwise, we're going to be under pressure. Guess what happens when we're under pressure? Now, you know how to drive, but when you're running late to an important appointment, you drive your car a little bit differently than you do if you're arriving early, right? You're more aggressive. Not that it makes any difference to when you finally get there, does it? That's right. <laughs> yeah, but I've just realized that very recently. It's a long time coming. <laughs> yeah, it's not worth it often, is it? But the idea is something that you know that you've done all your life, your adult life, suddenly you're in a mindset where you're rationalizing behaviors 
that are actually working against you. And this is so critical to understand and respect the frailty of our human emotions, that we should have the wisdom to know in the markets, I cannot afford to approach the market with any source of pressure. If I do, then I've got problems. If someone's coming to them, and this is really important. No, I was going to ask about this in the Market Forecasting Academy, that um, it's referral only and invitation only. And you do mention that you do see people coming along with a sense of desperation and you realize that that is not the mindset with which you approach markets like this. That's correct. And whether they're using your methodology or anyone else's methodology, that is an important lesson is that is not the way to approach the stock market. It really is a destructive force. I had a gentleman come to me. He had a stable life, but he had a situation in which he had inherited some money and he was scammed. And he was really just, he needed to save face. And he was kind of really, he needed to kind of, he needed to make that right. And I said, listen, I don't care how much you're willing to pay me. I know you're willing to do whatever it takes, you know, but I'm telling you, unless you're outside of the situation, the circumstances, pressure filled, you shouldn't be looking at the markets, do real estate, do something else, because the markets with the money and the easy, you know, press a button, you're charged. You cannot see straight. What happens is it's amazing. You'll see grown, mature, successful individuals, men and women included. They all of a sudden turn into a 16 year old who just got their driver's license and their parents got them a brand new Lamborghini. Does that combination sound like it's going to end well? <laughs> Probably not. With a bottle of whiskey in the passenger seat. That's right. And a bottle of whiskey. That's right. <laughs> so it really, we have to respect the fact that this really is something that our human nature is just prone to. So whenever I see someone who is coming with you know, very little capital and they want to try to get rich quick, it's really important to come to the market prepared, knowing that I don't need the market. I don't need to do this. I want to do this. It's an enhancement. So I don't have that pressure. And I want to come with capital so that, you know, basically if I'm making some, some gain, it's meaningful and it's motivating, encouraging, because if it's not, if it's piddly little pennies and dollars, guess what that's going to do? That's going to make me feel like, ah, oh, I need to risk more. And then they'll end up wiping that account. So it's just, there's a balance to this. Sometimes I'll spend, would you believe me if I told you, Phil, that there are times where in 20 minutes I figured out this person, it's not a good fit. And I have to tell them, not only I can't accept you, but you shouldn't be looking to trade anywhere in the market. You should be looking at something else like real estate or something else, internet marketing, I don't care. And then I'll spend two or three hours convincing them why for my own conscience so that I know that they're not going outside of me and willing to give their money to somebody who just says, thank you, good luck. And then they're worse off six months, 12 months from now, because most people come to me, they're married, they've got kids, really can't afford to do that to themselves. And it's just, it breaks my heart to hear that and see that. So I, I do what I can. And that's why I enjoy doing what we're doing like together right now is just kind of give people an honest, realistic perspective on what it really takes to succeed in the market. Pressure cannot be part of your uh, experience. So you, you started uh, working out your own methodology and people came to you originally. You didn't mean to start the academy. Correct. <laughs> it kind of, it fell to you to try and teach people. Yes. Tell us about that process. Well, so it was um, funny enough, I was volunteering a lot of time in the middle of the week at a local church, and, and the, after about, a, I don't know, I think it was like two and a half months or so, <laughs> one of the ladies came over and says, you know, the girls and I are talking, I mean, please don't take this the wrong way. <laughs> That's like a sewing circle, isn't it? Everyone wants to talk about everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. And I, but she says, I got to ask you, 
how is it that you're so free and available and you're coming and helping us old ladies out, you know, <laughs> in the middle of the week when everyone else is working, you know, and, and we love having you. We love your help. But I mean, don't you work? Like, well, of course, here's, you know, it's, what do you do? And I told her and she said, well, isn't that risky and gambling? I said, well, I actually developed a whole approach to actually more conservative than real estate. And it gives me a lot more control. And it actually, it's a very part-time effort. So I've got an abundance of time. And, you know, so I got to fill it somehow with something I enjoy. And she's like, wow. So then I think it was another two months after that, summer came and her uh, son graduated high school. And she said, can I talk to you? And can I ask you questions? Sure. She says, my son just graduated. Would you be willing to teach him your method? And he has an interest in finance and I don't want him blowing his summer on, on partying and having going out with his friends. I want him to be productive. And I said, sure, I'd love to. And that's how it started. And the joy that I got out of that and the results that I saw. And then other people say, wow, would you be willing to teach me? And I said, sure. And it started to develop. And I thought, wow. And then one person would tell another. And because you know, people would see, wow, what are you doing? How are you doing that? What's going on? What's changed? Oh, it's you know, Roger. You know, I'll, I'll let you talk to Roger. And that's how that kind of snowballed. Now, for me, when I started seeing more and more, I decided, wow, this is really enjoyable. And listen, people are going to ask, well, what's in it for you? If you figured it out, why are you doing this? Why would you need to teach? For me, it's not like extra work. It's actually a fun way to, to be productive. Why wouldn't I want to leverage my success? There's a value to helping someone start and come right out of the gate successful and avoiding all the pitfalls and failures and losing and coming out and succeeding and building their account, growing right out of the gate. So people are willing to say, hey, look, if you can help me avoid making a mistake, I'm willing to, to pay for that, you know, honorable. So just just help me. And it's like, okay, well, I started to take it more seriously, made a formal effort to create a course and training. And I took a lot of pride into it and I've enjoyed it. And it's been, and my, my clients end up becoming very close friends. Some are like family to me. And I'm very selective. So like, I'm very hands-on. I don't have a representative that I actually like to talk and meet with the person. It's my life's work. One of the criteria is if I don't feel good about the person coming into my own home, I'm probably not going to take them as a client. <laughs> so that's, you know, but I really believe in the mentoring, the training, the hands-on. But the most important part of that is the accountability. People naturally drift on their own when they don't have a sense of accountability. And it's so much easier for me to just keep this and make it a home study course and I could make a lot of money if my motivation was just money, right? Thank God I'm not in that. And then just leave people to their own devices once they've done the course. Yeah, because I could sell thousands. Do you know in 10 years in my private group uh, supported community, 10 years, this is of all time, not current people, but of all time, I have right around currently like 178 people. So that should tell you. I'm not out here peddling this to the masses and trying. I want to help people, but it's got to be the right fit and it's got to make sense. You know, I don't want to exploit anyone, but I don't want to be exploited. So it's one of those things where it's just, and I take pride in this and I'm really enjoying this. It's how I like to fill my time up. And I teach them, don't come to the markets wanting to become a trader. That's wrong. You want to come and use the act of trading as a springboard for a short period of time through the consistency to compound and grow an account where the abundance of that account, eventually your trading income can replace your primary income. But what I would do is why not work until if that was a part-time effort that replaced a full-time income, why not continue that for a little longer and make it so that your abundance of that capital can in, be invested in passive yielding income investments where your passive income now replaces your need to even trade. Then you don't ever need to trade. You don't have to work if you don't want to. And now when you trade, it's because you want to, not because you have to. Yeah, it's not because you're pressured, be a pressure to do so. Now, depending with what you, a person starts with, 
because of the consistency, you're not giving it back a bunch of money. You're mostly, you know, keeping what you have. That can grow in two, three, four, five years, seven years. Again, depending on what someone's starting out with. But that's that's a realistic and honest approach. And I really am a big advocate of that. And I teach that philosophy to my clients. I want them not to come to grind. Like people think, are you, you know, did you catch that move? I don't trade moves. I don't really care. I'm not anxious about the market, you know. And I teach them no more than 10 to 15 hours a week. Even if you go full time, 15 hours a week really is plenty. If you go beyond that, you'll start to work against yourself. You get tired. You become, you know, zombie-like. It's not good. You know, it's a mental activity. You know, the mind will only absorb, but the butt will endure. <laughs> <laughs> the logical thing is people want to come to the market to make money. So the logical conclusion of that is I want to look for opportunities to make money. But that's why they're losing and having inconsistency because they're blindsided by all the risk. But if we say no, instead, let me look for opportunities that are not likely to lose money, suddenly everything looks different from that perspective. If listeners want to find out any more information about Market Forecasting Academy, where should they head? Very simple, marketforecastingacademy.com. <laughs> I had an email as well from you about uh, mentioning the request training URL as well. Yeah, if you put that link in the notes there, it's marketforecastingacademy.com and it is request-training. So marketforecastingacademy.com forward slash request dash or hyphen training. And they'll get a very special uh, educational primer on demand imbalance arbitrage, which is the approach that I have where people can have consistently low risk, high quality, high probability opportunities. So they're avoiding these hit or miss experiences and the, and the gambling on outcomes. So they'll learn all about that there. Roger Curry, thank you very much for joining me today. Bill, thank you so much for having me. That was fun. If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend, especially if it's someone who needs to start thinking about investing for their future. You'll be helping them and helping me to keep this show on the road. Stocks for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Stocks for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. And thank you for listening to my podcast. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.